Hey everybody, welcome to Hobbs and Friends. I am your host, Jason Hobbs, and I, first of all, I would like to say I'm super happy to be on the mics again. I know it's been months, but hopefully it was worth the wait. Mm, no, that's probably building it up too much. I hope you just enjoy the show, and I have a great guest for you. Believe it or not, I was talking to someone who hadn't heard of the game that this guy wrote, and I was stunned into silence. I'm not going to say any names, but it might have been... Sean P. Kelly from Gaming and BS. So Gaming and BS people, you guys just aren't on the level of the Hobbs Goblins. Anyhow, this guy, I found some... He told me I was searching deep to get some information here. He is a game designer. He wrote Shadowcraft The Glamour War, Shadowcraft Mission Folio, Jackals, Bronze Age Fantasy Roleplaying, The Fall of the Children of Bronze, and is a line developer for 13th Age. He's none other than J.M. DeFoggy. How are we doing, J.M.? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jason. This is this is exciting. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm super pleased at how many times you can go through an introduction on one night. So you're... <laughs> Already you're doing a great job. All right, so the first part, the first segment of the show is normally trying to introduce the guests and get to know each other a little bit. Like normally we talk about how we know each other and well, I kind of almost feel like we do now after this. That's, uh, that's right. <laughs> this half an hour or hour of trying to get ready for the show tonight. <laughs> but other than that, you have no idea who I am, though. We are both uh, fans of Kevin Madison and uh, the Dungeon Musers YouTube channel, right? Yeah, 100%. Like, I've been following his channel for years. And as I was sharing before the show started, like, to see him running jackals, I was poleaxed. My my son thought it was the coolest thing. My wife was like, are you okay? I'm like, you do, do you understand what's going on? Did she understand? She did. She oh, actually edits nice. for role-playing games. Oh, uh, that's, that's awesome. her job. So she edits. All right. So I got some zines that I'll be saying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm not kidding. I don't know. We'll oh, see. Yeah. Who knows? All right, so that's cool. And like, I saw that you had talked after Kevin did a lot of the um, the Jackals run that he had done, and I know that he wants to get back to it. I saw that you were actually very active on Kevin's Discord channel, the Dungeon Users Discord channel, and I wanted to get a show going. And you seem like the perfect candidate. And so, thanks again for being on the show. Seriously, my pleasure. I when you reached out, I got to uh, look at some of the uh, the old shows, and and Arlen had me on his show, so we That's were right, talking Arlen. about books on there as well. And so it was just awesome to kind of see all of the threads connecting. I'd say it's a small world, but it is a small world sometimes. It is, it? yeah. Awesome. All right. So next, let's talk a little about about what we've been doing in gaming. So it looks like you have some cool stuff on here. You want to talk about it? I mean, sure, if you want. So I run, I run three. Well, I run, I run like five games a week, but two of them are play tests for something I can't that I will just tease at at this point. But you, I run uh, Torg and Fading Suns on the Ulysses International Channel, and Ulysses Ulysses Spiel publishes games like The Dark Eye and the Aventuria board game, and then they brought Torg back, Torg Eternity, which if you're not familiar with it, the best way I've ever heard it explained is it's it's set on an Earth if Die Hard was a documentary, and then that Earth gets invaded by seven other realities. So there's like a fan, you know, this this reality overlays England, and now it's a fan. It's this fantasy world, and and the Middle East and North Africa is now like 1930s pulp superheroes, and and Russia gets nuked and is 
you know, Hellraiser meets Mad Max. And so there's all these cosms that are vying for control of Earth. And so it's it's a little like Rifts, except where Rifts stirs all of the ingredients together. Up until this point, Torg is kind of like all of these different realities are sort of all trying to take over Earth, but it was kind of a concerted effort. So it's very cinematic. It uses cards. It uses dice. It's a very sort of over-the-top, very cinematic RPG. And then Fading Suns is this science fiction game set like 3,000 years in the future where the stars have started to go out. And so you have like almost a Rome-like empire that that spreads out from Earth and then it collapses. And so we're in, it's sort of like medieval science fiction. So like Dune has a lot, it's got a lot of touchstones with Dune. And so I run those games on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And then on Wednesdays, I run my personal game, which right now is a RuneQuest Glorantha game. And I love it. Like RuneQuest, Glorantha is, it's one of the shows that we do a podcast called Exploring Glorantha and it's just brilliant. Like I love Greg Stafford's design. I love the mechanics. Like it's just, it's one of my white whale games that I've been trying to get to the table for years. And now we're entering year, almost to year four of playing the game. Oh, nice. And all these are recorded this, these are actual plays or podcasts or uh, I mean, so, actual plays on podcasts or on video. Yeah. So the, the fall of, or sorry, the uh, fading suns and the tour game are live on Twitch on Tuesdays and Thursday nights and then get mm. pushed over to YouTube. But the RuneQuest Glorantha game is just a game that I play with my friends. I don't want like, like the stress of making it an actual play. Like you can just focus and be as silly or as crazy or as gonzo as we want to be and not have to worry about an audience or anything like that. I can appreciate that. Did you hear that, Ulysses people? None of you are his friends. <laughs> Just that kidding. is not true. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. All right. I do that. I mean, there for a while, I was running five games a week myself, every, you know, every, weekly. And I can understand how that goes. So I can appreciate what you are going through. And I've heard of this Ulysses channel, but I've never checked it, <laughs> checked it out personally or anything like that. So that sounds awesome. I just recently played Rollmaster. I got back on the Dungeon Muser YouTube channel recently playing Rollmaster in this game that we started playing on Friday nights. And uh, I'm playing a psychic. Have you ever played Rollmaster? Back in the day, I actually, one of the, I think the very first RPG I bought was uh, Middle Earth Role Playing. So I started off with Rollmaster Light. And so do you say Merp or Merps? Oh, I say Merp. I think most am, people do. Am I wrong? No, I don't think there is a role-playing system. System, Yeah, but almost everyone says MERP. I have ran into a few, and some Texas people. I thought it was located in Texas. So when you mentioned Texas earlier, I thought, but you're a transient to Texas. I'm a a transplant. Yeah, 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 definitely. Just just arrived here. Yeah, so I had fun playing Rollmaster and using some mentalist-type stuff. That's what it's called on Rollmaster, I think, not a psychic. It's mentalist. So... It was fun. We're like fifth level or something. I didn't oh. make the early sessions because I was moving and all this stuff, but I guess we're going to run it, play it on Fridays. So if you guys awesome. want to check out some some crazy people play Rollmaster Friday nights on YouTube on uh, the Dungeon Musers YouTube channel. And obviously you can do some stuff on Tuesday. I'm going to run a game tomorrow night for the first time in forever. Or you can go over to the Ulysses International channel and catch some Torg and Fading Suns. Are those alternating every other week or once no, Tuesdays so and once on Thursday? Tuesday and mm-hmm. uh, Fading Suns is on Thursday. Well, I'm pretty sure you'd rather check out Low Fantasy Gaming than Torg, but I don't know. 
Hey, if, if you're a fan of a fan of this podcast, you should go check out the Low Fantasy Gaming. Go over to uh, the Ulysses YouTube channel on Wednesday. And uh, what's on Wednesday? We post it to YouTube on Wednesday. Oh, okay, so perfect. We, post, we, yeah. we have the, the archives all on YouTube on the Ulysses International channel. All right, there you go. I feel like we're sucking each other's dick. <laughs> I don't know if you're supposed to say that on Twitch, but that's great. That's an old saying from here. We're like patting each other on the back a lot. That's right. All right. Anyhow, so I was at Gamehole Con. We're moving into the segment called Everything About You. Have you ever heard of Ugly Kid Joe, JM? Mm-mm. No? They did a song from the 80s called I Hate Everything About You. <laughs> so look that up, people. But right. I'm in this trivia thing on Thursdays, and I've been doing it now for like six months, it feels like. And I recently had it. The song that I talk about on this podcast for years now was on, and I didn't even know who sang it at the time. I felt terrible. <laughs> and so at Game Hole, someone was making fun of me for not knowing it. And uh, he said that I, from now on, I should never be able to have this segment in my show anymore. Oh, so, is that why I don't, it's the last time for this segment? It, it might be the last time for this segment. I won't uh, say any names, of course, but it might have been Lord Burnick from Spellburn fame. Do you ever play Dungeon Crawl Classics, Jam? Oh, I've got a DCC over there and some mm-hmm. uh, Linkmar goodness. And okay. then, uh, do you listen yeah. to their podcast? Uh, yes. Never do it again? Them. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so that's Julian. Judge Julian okay. is who I'm talking okay, about. Yeah. Is, uh, is one of my arch nemesis. Oh. Not, not really. We're buddies, but we talk a lot of crap to each other. All right, so anyhow, the segment of the show is usually you say something about yourself that the audience isn't aware of just so people can get to know you. When I started, I didn't want to do a whole first episode that was all about me. I just thought I would piece it out as I go. But I mean, this is episode 71. I'm sure everyone knows everything there is to know about me by now. So maybe we'll just change it into something else. I don't I don't know what it'll be. Maybe it'll be... Um, theory of a dead man don't they have a song i hate i don't know anyway you got anything you want to share that put you on the spot you put me on the spot let's see here um things that people may not know about me well just one if you want just one is all we need so i i have many passions but one of them is actually creating new ways and twists on old fashions and so uh, my wife got me a built me a little bar and so i have multitude of whiskeys over there and i'm constantly tinkering and remixing and trying new ways to come up with like new and unique flavors for like holiday seasons. I've got a really good child fashion syrup that I make for, for the Christmas season. And I've got like a a smoked cherry old fashioned that I do. It's just, I, I, I started off in college as a, as an engineer. So it's kind of my love of chemistry, but I decided I just couldn't be an engineer. Like I I would have, it would have slowly drained my soul away. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, so now you just do chemistry with alcohol. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Chemistry with alcohol, bitters, and sugar. That's, that's fantastic. Do you make your own bitters? I make my own bitters. I make my own syrup, simple syrups. Nice. Yeah. All right, everybody party at jams out. That's right. That's right after North Texas RPG Con. You ever gone to that? No, but I will be going this next year. So, all right, let's. It's only all... ten minutes from my house. Okay, so. it's great. I'm, I'm whiskey s- at my house for to- after uh, day two of. Uh, Dude, I'm going to hold you to that because you, hey, if you're if you are in the Dallas area for North Texas I RPG will be. Con, I will make you a. I will bring an old fashioned. Or come and have drinks in a game afterwards. I quit drinking, but I will try one for you just to visit. But I just talked to Mike Belladon, Bad Mike. I don't know if you know who that is, but okay, at Game Hole. And that was one of the questions I asked him. Is there going to, because Doug Ray had passed away and he was the one Mm -hmm. that ran all of North Texas Mm -hmm. RPG Con. So 
Super excited to know that one of Doug's last witches is that they kept the con going. So oh, that's awesome. That was a it was a pretty cool conversation with Mike. So thanks to him for letting me know letting me know about that. So we got a lot of people. We got a lot of your fans in the Twitter, <laughs> man. That's pretty exciting. I'm a little embarrassed. Thanks, guys. All right, don't be embarrassed. This is great. All right, so I gotta find the thing. I lost my track. All right, perfect. So I think we covered most of the things. I think everyone knows everything about me. Everybody knows everything about you. So now we can talk about the main topic. If I was a professional, I'd have like a main topic sound. So let's say Rich add a main topic sound. He's our editor. Thanks to Rich. But so I wanted to talk about jackals, but almost more importantly to me, not to you, obviously, is this concept of simulating ages in RPGs. So Dungeons and Dragons has always been just like an uh, amalgam, right, of mm-hmm. different eras and just a mess. Like more crunchy games like to get into more specific ages and simulate those ages, like with the type of weapons they have, the type mm-hmm. of armor, whatever's going on in the world of that age, they either poured it into their own fantasy setting, a la, how do you pronounce it? Zaharitz? Is that it or no? Zaharitz, yeah. Yeah, Zaharitz, yeah, like the Zaharitz in your setting. So that's what I really wanted to talk to you. And I knew we could talk about all the other cool stuff that you do oh, yeah. and find out about you. But I just wanted to know what your opinions were on the concept of why you picked the Bronze Age, maybe, and how important it was to try and simulate that era in, in your game, Jackals. So before you get into it, though, I wanted to share yeah. my story with you. Yeah, so, go for it. Like, like I was saying, I'd seen... I probably heard something from Jackals a few different places, but when Kevin ran it, I was like, oh, I better check it out. And so I bought it at the local gaming store in Chicago. I live in Northern Illinois. And when I That's put it up- I was born and raised. Oh, in Northern Illinois? In Chicago? Yeah, Wa- Waukegan, Illinois. Oh, nice, man. That's not yeah. far from me. I live yeah. near Rockford, actually, so okay, I'm a little yeah. far west. Yeah. But I, I picked up the book. I'm like, oh, here's that Jackals, and put it on the counter with this other massive stuff. Like, we bought- the new Battletech box set, and we bought some different things, my cousin and I. But when the guy was checking us out, and this wasn't like a teenager, this is like an adult man, obviously a geeked out dude who loves gaming and everything else. Yeah. He's looking at all this stuff and making comments. When he saw Jackals, he looked at it and he goes, Bronze Age? Why would anybody want to play a game in the Bronze Age? And I was like, why would anyone want to buy a book from a guy who was going to make fun of what he's buying. I'm going to buy it somewhere else, buddy. No, I didn't buy it anywhere else, but I've been complaining about that since it happened. But uh, I just thought it was a funny story. So why don't you talk about, you know, maybe why you chose the Bronze Age, first of all? Well, there's, there's two things that kind of come together. As one, I love I love Glorantha. And Glorantha is, is in the Bronze Age, but it is pretty far removed from kind of our own historical Bronze Age. Not to say that... Jackals is a historical role-playing game because I wanted magic. I wanted my own take on things. But also, it kind of came out of, I got a master's. I went back to school for a master's, and I got a master's of biblical languages and ancient Near East mythologies. And so I just, I have a love for the language. I have a love for the the myths and the stories and the cultures of that time. And as you said, right, like D&D, like, I don't even, like, I don't think since probably BX, maybe second edition, that it was actually a medieval game anymore. It's sort of this self-referential Gygaxian fantasy, right? All of the tropes that we love about D&D, they're no longer rooted in any sort of historical thing. But even even when D&D tried to do, right, in second edition they had 
the Viking source book and the ancient Greece source book and, and mm-hmm. uh, the Charlemagne and or maybe Charlemagne actually works. But you see you see all of these Kickstarters going live for fifth edition games that are pretty far removed from kind of the basic tenets and ideas of D D. And I love D D. Like, I mean, I've got a ton of on this side, a ton of like second edition stuff. I don't think it's the one-stop shop that a lot of people think it is. And so I started I started plotting out this game that I was gonna use. I was gonna run an adventure conqueror king. And a buddy of mine was like, well, why don't you make your own game for it? Because you keep complaining about all the things that you have to like, you know, force into into place. And I mean, that's basically where it came from. It came from, I wanted to run a more Bronze Age game and someone encouraged me uh, to kind of make my own system for it. And because I do, I think that the best games, I'm not saying that it's the only way to game, but for me, the best games are where the system and the setting are sort of intrinsically linked. Yeah. yeah, inherently or intrinsically. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah. So, why, I mean, first of all, I guess I would ask why you think that, or maybe like how you linked setting and system in jackals like maybe some mechanics that you might want to mention or like specifically like maybe what your mindset was or like what your aesthetic what you were trying to reach and how you reached it would be cool so the first thing i did is i i went back and read the iliad the odyssey judges herodotus like a lot of these old classic kind of bronze age late bronze age early iron age kind of fiction and one of the things that really struck me was one the numbers are always way off, right? Like when you defeat an enemy, you like add a add a zero to how many soldiers they came. So you look awesome. Like you, you know, you defeated this, this even mm-hmm. larger, you know, reading through uh, Gates of Fire, the, you know, Thermopylae, that sort of thing. And the other thing is, it struck me as I was reading through the Iliad, the Iliad does not read like D&D. <laughs> it's not like... And then Achilles attacked Hector, and Hector took it on the shield. And then it was Hector's turn, and Hector went and did something, right? There's this back and forth, just ton of violence. And so I wanted to capture that. And so what I did was I made I took the D100 system, and I added these things called clash points. So as long as you have a clash point left, you can spend it when someone attacks you, and it turns it into an opposed roll. And if you roll better than they do, you're the one who hits. So... Even on an enemy's turn, you can be killing the enemy. And then it kind of came out of that, the fact that I could add a ton of extra monsters into the fight because it doesn't need to be one-on-one because one guy with enough clash points can hold off four or five enemies at a single time. And that's kind of where the inspiration uh, for that one. And I would, I would say of all of the mechanical things I built for Jackals, the clash point system is kind of foundational to all of the sources that I've been reading. All right. I Like I say, I have not read much of it, just the beginning section on the setting, which I thought was really cool. I like what you did with the setting. I really believe that building conflict into your in the setting or whatever campaign yeah. you're running is what people need without conflict. There's nothing for the characters to do really, mm-hmm. in my opinion, not everyone yep, feels yep. that way, but I definitely feel like you did that. And that's really cool. So clash points, I'm going to, I'll make sure to, I'll actually probably run some jackals at, at the gamerhood at some point. So you let that, me know if you, if you, uh, 
need any resources or you know, oh, yeah, need a player, man. let me know. For sure. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. That reminds me, I did want to ask you, I mean, we don't have to be done talking about jackals, no. but what do you... The fall of the children of bronze is like like a campaign, really, like an adventure mm-hmm. path is what they would have, Pezo probably would have called it, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. It's it's the it's the second book for Jackals, and it's fourteen adventures stretched out over nine years. So that's also one of the things. So Jackals, one of my favorite games is the One Ring, and I love the idea of like the darkening of Mirkwood, which is this idea that the characters that start the campaign aren't the ones that are going to finish it. Like people will die. People will retire. And so I, and I, I took kind of the Greek idea of Kleos, this idea of reputation and tied it into that. So Jackals kind of starts the outsiders. You can only do two adventures a season and then you have to take a downtime action. And all of the downtime actions tie you back into the community to the point that, eventually you don't want to go out on the adventure because you've got this lucrative business or you're, you know, the advisor to the king or, you know, you're a spy for the, the, the Gare Royal Court. And so basically you can only go on four adventures a year. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of set up this idea that, so on the war road, there are two city states that are developing. And over the course of this 10 year campaign, if you play through the adventures and there's plenty of room, right? I provide one adventure a year for the north side and one adventure a year for the southern part of the war road. So that's one out of four. So GMs can still just kind of add whatever they want to it, which was a design feature. I've seen a couple of people complain about that. I'm like, well, it, it, it's not a bug. It was, it was actually designed <laughs> that way. That's that's what, how I want to run games. I don't want I don't want an adventure path as much as I love Paizo, where every step of the story is kind of laid out for me. I, I much prefer like night below where here's kind of like the main parts but you've got to fill in the rest yourself eventually at the end of the fall of the children bronze the two city states go to war and depending on what the players do one of those city states falls and is kind of absorbed into the other one making kind of a unified kingdom now on the war road and a lot of people were like well why would you change the setting so quickly I'm like you're it's nine years of play you're going to have plenty of time in the setting as is, but if you play through the whole campaign, your characters have made a, a massive change onto the setting. And that's something I love as a player. I want to know that my my hero didn't just do something and was forgotten, that they made like an intrinsic change to the world. Yeah, no, I mean, the passage of time in a campaign is, I think, segment of GMs want to establish, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not easy, especially mm-hmm. in a D&D game or a low fantasy game, any of those games, it's like because the characters are almost ready to get up and go right away again. Yeah. And if they're not, then people are like, well, what am I supposed to do while my character's out for six months or whatever? Oh, right. make another character. There's a lot of different ways. And I find yeah. it interesting that you tried to do that. Is there... And, I, and I, it would be bad of me if I didn't mention a railroad. When people start talking about adventure yeah. paths, they talk about railroads. But I don't know. It doesn't have to be nine years, right? I mean, GMs could do whatever they want. Maybe yeah, they can let players stop the war from happening or however. Yeah. But I really like the concept of what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and the first five adventures for each side of the war road definitely... They can almost be played in any order. They build on each other, but there's a little bit of modularity to them. But there's this impending sense of 
this war is is huge and everyone knows it's eventually going to happen i was inspired by what's his donald kagan's on the origins of war and he's like listen we've had fewer years of peace in the history of mankind than we have of of war and if you look at like like from through through cities on everyone goes yeah no we all saw it coming and then after they're done they're like we should never do this again until the next time it happens that everyone right. sees it coming and nobody does anything to stop it and then it happens again so i would love to hear stories about jackals who stopped the war that would be amazing uh but then once you get into the last five adventures, if you haven't stopped it at that point, there are two city-states that are heading towards it. So you either get out of the way or pick a side. You know, much like when two nations go to war, two kingdoms go to war. You know, the 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 if the few aren't actively trying to keep the peace, then once war starts, it's almost too late to stop anything at that point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would agree with all that. That's That sounds really intriguing to me. So I'm going to circle back a little bit. I asked you, like, if you had any mechanics that were that you used to keep that simulation SS or to make it feel like Bronze Age. Is there anything mm-hmm. else, you know, that you feel like you did or is necessary or is it not that necessary? Or what do you I, I mean, obviously, you think it was because you look like you worked no, yeah. hard to keep it that way. So what else did you do? Um, so other things, just like the way the way I worked on magic, I didn't want magic to feel kind of Vancean. And so basically there are, right now there are eight different traditions of magic and they're all cultural. Like every culture has two different types of magic that they can use. And I've got, you know, as long as jackals keep selling, like I just turned in the manuscript for book three, I'm hoping to do a magic book here soon that will add... Mm a new tradition for each culture. Oh, nice. But, but the idea of at the, in the bronze age, culture and religion are what drove magic. There wasn't just like this sort of almost agnostic or atheistic magic that we see in, you know, in D and D or in, you know, Gygaxian fantasy games. It, it was, Hey, if you're a gear or, you know, in our world, if you're an Egyptian, here's the way you understand the world and that's how your magic and religion works and so magic is all uh, based off devotion to different entities and beings and this idea that humans only get magic through these relationships with beings a lot of the downtime actions are are tied to the bronze age like increasing your chaos so you'll be rec- you know remembered right that's what achilles wants in the iliad all he wants to do is be remembered I mean, he wants to do a bunch of other things, but that's kind of, you know, one of his driving passions. And then the monsters that I picked, I have a very narrow band of monsters. And somebody was like, well, you're going to add more monsters to the game. I'm like, I really don't think I will. I have a couple of ideas on how to customize monsters. If I did like a monster book where I would allow GMs to switch out abilities for monsters. But the idea was there's really only this narrow band of things that you see in like Greek, Egyptian, Mm -hmm. Sumerian mythology i'm not gonna put in cloud giants or uh, harpies i don't know harpy well i mean harpies uh harpies i would add well they are in greek myth yeah they are in greek there's this very narrow band the other thing that is really baked in is sort of the 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 broad and this goes to the struggle that you were talking about good and evil really doesn't even really enter into into play it's really civilization versus chaos and chaos not as disorder but like like dissolution and and non-being and like the things on the outskirts of the city that the gods drove back 
but it's now humanity's turn to keep them driven back or else they're going to come back in and lay waste to everything. And so those were kind of the main mechanical things that were informed by kind of my decision to make it a Bronze Age game. So I would be remiss if uh, I didn't ask you, like, sometimes when people are trying to make D&D into be, you know, a Bronze Age or a different ages, they're cutting out like plate armor or they're saying, OK, mm-hmm. you have to use bronze weapons or you have to use flint weapons. And it, that really like even limits like in a game where the characters can already feel like they're not experts at what they're doing right now if they're even worse because the like say dark sun they use like obsidian or whatever and your weapons were terrible and you had crappy armor how did you deal with that well i mean the the thing is is bronze was pretty pretty bronze is, is ubiquitous in 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 jackal so like everything you're coming against is bronze so i didn't I did not lean into any sort of difference like that. I did try to lean, make sure that like all of the armors were, you know, the the lucky thing for me is that Osprey is the one who published this. And so I was able to go to Osprey and go, hey, I need a bunch of these military reference books you have on the Bronze Age (laughs) for for Jackal's purposes. And they were like, oh, well, we'll send you whatever you want. You know, I went through all of their Greek ancient warfare lines and their Egyptian ones. So like all of the armor and weapon that I chose for the game are very much indicative of what was going on there. Now I do have plans as the if if the if we start expanding the territory a little bit, heading more towards the east or the north, there will be tribes that have iron weapons. And in that case I've got a couple of cool mechanics for like what happens when an iron sword clashes with a bronze weapon, because that that's where you start getting into some of these things. But mm-hmm. Jackals is so firmly kind of in the middle of the Bronze Age that I didn't really feel like I, I mean, I limited the weapons and the armor types, but I didn't feel like I had to come up with the dip, like, as you said, like the dark sub level of, well, what happens if an obsidian sword hits stone armor? Mm-hmm. I, okay, like, that's not something that's necessarily going to happen in here, so... Which is cool. I mean, some people forget like how long of a period the Bronze Age is, right? It's I mean, huge, yeah. you're not you're not going to play the same characters for hundreds of years, or yeah. even the same lineage of characters in the same civilizations, probably. Yeah. So that makes sense. All right, man. I mean, that sounds pretty good. It sounds like you put a lot of thought into it. If I was a good interviewer, I probably would have read the book and been able to ask you know very pointed questions. But this seems good for. That's I know the after show. That's right. No, <laughs> maybe. Uh, I know some guys who would be very excited about the concept of how you did try to stick to a certain age and then mm-hmm. used Osprey books, actually, in research yeah. to, to cover that. That's awesome. All right. So is there anything specific about the Jackals line that you wanted to talk about before we talk about some of this other stuff that's on the list? Or? Okay, so I did just turn in the manuscript for the for the third Jackals book. That's mainly going to be a, a look at the different the four different cultures. So you you can only play as humans. So it's the cultures that that define your characters. And uh, I really leaned into the fact that really culture just affects the skills that you're taught in your youth and what you know religion that you have. And so I basically, there, it'll be four chapters and it'll expand out the cultural information for people. It'll add four new spells for each, four new rites for each ritual path. So that makes it, it doubles the amount of rites from the core book. It has a specific piece of gear, thanks to Kevin, who was like 
in the very first game of Jackals he was running, he's like, there's no rules for quivers. And I'm like, how did I forget quiver rules? <laughs> so, because everyone should be using slings in the Bronze Age, of course. Oh, man. Slings are slings are terrifying. You know, we always hear the story of, like, David and Goliath. And, like, you know, actual sling stones were, like, were, like that big. Mm-hmm. Like, they were the size of your fist. And they would just come in and you know, punch through armor and bone. It's, it's not like he's taking little rocks. He's taking like rocks the size of his fist and throwing them at, uh, <laughs> at this giant, which is something I hope happens in everybody's Jackals game. An- another guy that I play games with always talks about how poorly the slings are portrayed. And if you really knew anything about slings, they'd be way tougher than they are in games. So that's great. See, all these guys that I use, would you call Jackals an OSR game? Oh, it definitely has an OSR. How would I... So it all depends, I guess, on how you define the R in you, OSR. You're defining it, so you get to say whatever uh, so you then, want. So then, yeah, it totally is. Uh, here's why, because uh, you need to, you need to track... There's uh, no good campaign yeah. without the strict timekeeping. The, the Gygax quote, yeah. It is brutal. I had somebody, a, a good friend, explain RuneQuest Glorantha to me, and I feel like this, this applies to Jackals, where, you know your limbs are your sanity points like you can get corrupted you can get you can lose limbs you can be scarred you can lose ears and i think part of the reason you know there's hirelings it is about bringing you know going out into like kind of the core thing is going out it's the reason they're called jackals they go out and they scavenge these dens for monsters and bones and treasure and bring them back to civilization so i'm a huge osr fan so i would say yeah it's definitely in the vein as you said in your in your introduction here right all of your games are run in the old school vein regardless of system i like it even even when i run 5e it's brutal so yeah i would definitely put it in that in that all right in that oeuvre that sounds great so uh, a new segment that I had started. You can choose, is it your legacy or is it your epitaph in the old school? What would it be? <sighs> Oof. Legacy or epitaph? So, Maybe it's uh, not. You know, I don't even know because I don't know if most people would consider it or not. I'll have to look at it and see what I think. But so, a lot of the old school people I know have, don't, have never heard of it. So, But go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. So my legacy from the OSR is definitely what is called the death salute in my game. I have a, I have a, a reputation of running pretty... I don't want to say brutal, but like the consequence hammer falls where the consequence hammer will. And so I've gotten into the tradition of giving, you know, giving a death salute when a character dies in my games. And it is something of a badge of honor among my players, how many times they get the death salute. So I feel like that's sort of my legacy is that is Mm -hmm. the fact that there are, there are people in like Colorado Springs and in Chicago and and now in Texas who have, who have experienced that the joy of the OSR where, no, I'm sorry, your, your character's dead. Well, what can I do about it? You can make a new character, make a new character. All right. This is what you do. Grab three six sided (laughs) dice. No, (laughs) I like it, man. I've actually done that in a game. Somebody did. I was running a Heroes Unlimited game, and I put the puzzle box from Hellraiser into it. And they opened the puzzle box and they stepped inside. And they're like, "What? What happens now?" I'm like, "Well, now you get out a sheet of paper." And they're like, mm-hmm. "Okay." I'm like, and "You grab three six-sided dice, okay?" I'm like, "And you write down physical strength and roll them." He's like, "But that's how you make a new character." I'm like, "It is how you make a new character." Exactly. Nice. <laughs> Awesome. So the death salute that is a definitely above the death stamp from DCC, I would say. 
It kind of reminds me of my rip and throw it in your face. That's kind of what I do when people yeah. die in person. But that's why I only run games online. Otherwise, I get beat up. <laughs> All right, my man. This has been a great discussion. We're going on 40 minutes. So everyone is going to... They tell me the show should be longer. I, I don't... I don't know. I feel like this has been a great show regardless. So I want to give some appreciation to some patrons of Hobbs and Friends who have still been patrons, even though I haven't done a show in months, they still were patrons. So I usually give three shout outs, but this time I'm going to read a bunch of names. So you can twiddle your thumbs there or, you know, like talk to people in the twit and the chat or whatever you want to do while I read these off. All right. So here we go, guys. I want to thank everyone for sticking around. Barry Furkus, Justin Russell, Eric Jeppesen, James Richards, Brian Lee, Mike Hess, Benjamin Brodel, Noah Fiegel, Mark Grehan, Arlen Walker, Inkwell Ideas, Taylor Beeson, Brian Tracy Colt, Nicholas Burden, Derek Jones, Pickpocket Press, Scott Smith, DM Dave, Aaron Coleman, Stu Clark, James Malashevsky, Vance A., Jonathan Carnes, Darren Green, Colin Spike Pitt Green, Robert Nemeth, Andrew Merrington, Brian Rumble, David Bresson, Curtis Takahashi, Carl Rodriguez, Jason Connerly, Stan Polson, Noah Green, Thaddeus G. Moore, Kevin Madison, Ben Lawrence, Keith Nelson, Jesper Olson, Mark Diamante, Chris Lorsella, Alessandro Bertolici, Patrick Stevens, Eric Talvola, Gordon Cranford, ooh, Todd McGowan, Sean P. Kelly, Jay Murphy, Frank Brooks, next page, Julian Burnick, and Steve Sigety. Thank you guys so much for being a patron of Hobbs and Friends. I don't know if I can really tell you in words how much I appreciate it, but I hope that uh, shout out on the podcast helps. And thank you so much for doing it. If you ever want to become a patron of Hobbs and Friends, it is www.patreon.com forward slash OSRN Hobbs. So, my man, JM, do you have anything that you want to pimp here in the last couple minutes? Oh, sure. You can find uh, you can find me on uh, iconic the iconicpodcast.com on YouTube or on Twitch where the where iconic production. If you find us on YouTube, you'll find uh, a backlog of Jackals. I ran two short Jackals campaigns. We do a podcast about Thirteenth Age uh, once uh, every other week called the Iconic Podcast, and then once a month with uh, my good friend Evan, we do Exploring Glorantha, where we're trying to take this grand Greg Stafford put together and are really trying to kind of break it down and make it digestible and, and easy for people who are coming to it to kind of get access and start playing in that world. I've got a new podcast that we're going to be starting in January that's going to be talking about grand campaigns. Uh, I hate the fact that we keep seeing these statistics that say most RPG games only last about six episodes. And so seeing as I have multiple games that are over three or four years long, I'm going to try and see about giving some advice to counter this like disposable RPG stuff and like mm. really get it to kind of like the meat of a game for me starts at like month nine or 10, like everything before that is just sort of set up. So sounds fascinating. If you ever want some talks about running West March's open table games, yes. that's what I do I'll, mostly. So cross promotion i love it that sounds great do you have some i guess i'll say if you want to reach me on twitter at osrn hobbs or i have my personal account at hobbs indeed i'm really terrible at keeping them separate you can find me on i have the hobbs and friends facebook the discord the gamerhood discord random screed facebook twitch 
forward slash Hobbs 665 and YouTube Jason Hobbs. You got any other deets you want to just rip out there quick? I mean, you can find me uh, at DefogeJM on Twitter. Uh, nice. And that's really about all that I <laughs> the only places that I'm at online. Uh, also, check out the Ulysses International channel on Twitch. Uh, so it'd be uh, twitch.tv forward slash Ulysses International. I run games there twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursday night. But don't watch the Tuesday night show until after you've watched uh, Jason's show. <laughs> what time does your show start? We start at, I know this, we start at 7.30 Central. Oh, I think that's exactly when we're starting. <laughs> until until 10, probably. So we can oh, switch, you, you know, we can uh, raid each other. It'll be, it'll be a blast. All right, my man, any last words? Uh, just get out there and do more gaming. Like, I feel like gaming is one of the few things that we still do in this modern world where we're getting friends together and we're telling stories and i feel like that's super important so my my standard sign off at the end of uh, all of the shows is say stay stay safe stay healthy stay gaming and like i hope that uh, rings true for all of uh, all of the people listening to this podcast i agree and like i often say it's better to burn out than to fade away that's you and the kurgan <laughs> <laughs> me and uh Def Leppard. That's what. That's, it, yeah. that's where it originally came from that I know of. It's a beautiful day in the game of hood. A beautiful day for my gamers. Would you be one? Could you be one? It's out of that thunder, but don't despair. This colony's breeding great robbers. Would you be one? Could you be one? If the native percent mortality rate works for you. For a few bucks a month you can sign up and have the hogs kill you So let's make the most of another someday Brew up some coffee and play it my way Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my gamers? Won't you be? Won't you please? Please won't you be my gamers? The views, information, or opinions expressed by those interviewed during the Hobbs and Friends podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Hobbs and Friends and its staff. Hobbs and Friends is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series, available for listening on any platform of delivery. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform its listeners about the tabletop gaming industry. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into or placed in association with or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the express approval and knowledge of the Hobbs and Friends podcast creator is forbidden. You may not edit modify or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Hobbs and Friends podcast site assume no liability for any activities in the connection with this podcast or for the use of this podcast in connection with any other website, computer, or playing device.